welcome to episode 12 of Fitness Unfiltered. I'm Jocelyn Thompson Rule, and before I introduce today's guest, I just wanted to talk about the Women in Fitness Summit 2018. It is finally here on the 27th and 28th of October in London. Um, you can read all about the lineup on my website, jocelynthompsonrule.com forward slash Women in Fitness Summit. I am so excited about this year. The lineup is amazing. So many incredible women, actually 21 in total, which is about six more than last year. Uh, and I've had actually a few people contact me and say, Joss, I can only go to one day. Which day would you recommend? And I genuinely couldn't choose between the two. So I've just said come to both. Um, so check out the lineup. I hope you like it. Also, if you like listening to this podcast, I would love for you to leave me a review on iTunes or on Stitcher if you're listening in on Android. It would mean a lot to me. And so that leads me just to introduce today's guest, Nezreen Dali. Now, Nezreen is such an accomplished coach and athlete. And we start today's call by talking about the decision she made several years ago to move deeper into her faith when she decided to wear the hijab. She had reservations around whether it would affect how people saw her as a coach and how, how people saw her as an athlete as well. Obviously, she's just so incredible it didn't affect either. And if anything, she's, she's moved from strength to strength since then. So we also talk about the industry. There's probably only about two years difference, two to three years difference between when we both started. And so we, we, we talk about the, the olden days, as it were, how the industry has changed since then and the advice that we would give to newbies or even current trainers who feel like they've lost a way, lost their way a little bit in the industry. Then we move on to any challenges that she faces being a coach and athlete and having a family. We talk a lot about her training, which then leads, leads us on to mindset and how she approaches days where she's not feeling motivated and what she, what she does about that. And obviously, I, I love the, the mindset piece. It's so interesting to me. And then we finally talk about recovery and what her favorite recovery protocols are. Now, Nez and her sister Sarah are also going to be uh, talking about recovery at the summit on day two. So that is not to be missed. They are between them. They just have so many years of experience and they're incredible at what they do and are very low key about it as well, which I like. So I hope you enjoy the show. I hope to see you at the summit. Thank you so much. Nez, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. We are lating it up on a Friday night recording our podcast. Living life. <laughs> rock Listen, there's stars, nothing rock stars. that I want to be doing, I'm telling you. Well, exactly, exactly. Going out, going out, never mind. Um, <laughs> um, okay, um, Nazreen, just introduce yourself uh, to the podcast world, please, and then we'll go from there. Um, so I am a full-time personal trainer. Um, I'm also a personal training tutor, so I help up-and-coming um, aspiring PTs and fitness instructors. Um, I am a Muay Thai uh, athlete, so I compete in Thai boxing, um, and I also teach Thai fit ladies only classes. So amazing! So, yeah. so, so not much on your plate then? <laughs> no, not too much. Just a few little, few little things. Few little side hustles, um, and just just tell me because we haven't we haven't spoken a huge amount about this. Um, your teaching, um, how is that like a how, is that weekly? Is it 
Uh, how does yeah, that work? It's, I mean, it's a 24-hour commitment. I mean, my learners can call me at any time, message me at any time. And it's sort of like, um, I manage it quite well. I have got a lot of learners at the moment, but I do kind of like full um, practical days. So I kind of will bring 10 learners to like, you know, a four-hour session uh, and go through all the kind of stuff and assess them um together and then book their exams individually but they do speak to me obviously on a one-to-one basis with any sort of um issues that they have any questions and you know I'm essentially marking their work um as, as as well as kind of guiding them through the course okay okay and they're they're pts in the making are they or they are yeah they're people that are studying for their level two fitness instructing Um, followed shortly by their level three personal training so they're just literally taking their first step into the fitness world okay cool and um, tell me a little bit about your um, educational background what did you study um so I studied sport and exercise science um as a undergrad degree um at Hofstra University and then I went on I got offered well I had a fantastic opportunity um to work for the university and then also do a masters by research with them so basically as once I graduated I started working at the uni as a visiting lecturer um, helping out the um, lecturing staff and then um, whilst I was carrying out my masters basically which was a big thesis. Cool and what was what was that on the thesis? So it was on um, ACL injury risk so I was looking at um, sex differences in um, muscle activity and ground reaction forces during jumping and squatting manoeuvres and the implications on ACL injury risk. What a mouthful. <laughs> um, so basically yeah. what that means is I was basically looking at muscle activity and ground reaction forces between men and women um, that played court games, so basketball and netball, and looking at the difference in their biomechanics and their muscle activity and how this would um, lend them to be more likely to get um, ACL injuries because, um, you, as you already know, um, females were nine times more likely to incur an ACL injury. So, um, and these are these are non-contact injuries, so uh, quite scary. So, yeah, I was looking into that, which was really interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah, I'm rehabbing a client at the moment, actually, and she's doing um, amazingly well. Valentina, shout out to Valentina. She's been so, so good and on it with her rehab. But she uh, she's a footballer and, uh, yeah, she had um, basically an ACL reconstruction. So it's, it's such, I find it such, it's such an in, it's such a slow recovery, but it's such an interesting recovery as well, just kind of building building back up into it. So once you what, – what did you what, – what were the findings? So what the – Previous research had been kind of focused on the effects, uh, the, sorry, not the effects, sorry, the role of the hamstrings um, at, and that males um, seem to have increased uh, muscle activity in their hamstrings, which was helping them, um, basically preventing them from um, tearing their ACL, whereas women tend to be quite quad dominant. So they were looking at, um, that's what the research has basically found so far. Now, my research was looking at the role of the glutes as well as hamstrings and quads. So I actually investigated uh, the muscle activity of the gluteus maximus um, and found that actually in women it was significantly lower. So when these ladies are changing direction, landing from a jump, uh, manoeuvring, um, they're actually not engaging their glutes as they should be, which is lending them to be, you know, to be in quite a um, tricky position on court because um, they haven't got the correct stabilizing muscles to protect their knee, basically. So 
Yeah. Right. Okay. So did you, so, so once you kind of, um, I guess, concluded that, did you then go and kind of prescribe them training or was it just kind of research and done? It was research and I kind of used it in conjunction. Um, at the time I was kind of working, um, doing a kind of uh, internship with the English Institute of Sport. So I was working with like England Netball and a the Hofstra University uh, netball squad. So actually I incorporated a lot of the stuff that I found into their prehab program. So when they when we were kind of doing like prehab stuff, um, I kind of was offering my insight in terms of the, the things that they should be focusing on and also like talking about the biomechanics of the movements that they were doing because the other thing that I looked at was ground reaction forces and what that found was that women were landing with straighter knees basically. So not enough knee flexion and hip flexion which their male counterparts were exhibiting a lot more of, which was protecting them basically because they were actually using their their hips and their posterior chain correctly. Whereas the the women basically, when they were landing and changing direction, their legs were essentially a lot straighter. So that was causing them to, you know, also put themselves at risk there. So it was also teaching the the uh, the athletes how to maneuver correctly and how to use their their body in the right way. Yeah, 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 and they absorb that impact. So, what sort of? Sorry, I'm I'm slightly obsessed with this. I know that I know that we <laughs> weren't planning to talk about this for this long, but finally, um, what um, what was involved in their prehab then to change that round? Just because I think it would be quite interesting if there are any um, women listening, which hopefully there are, obviously. Um, but how to how to you know if they are in uh, kind of uh, core sports, um, what they could do. Well, I would say if you're a female, you should really, really just focus on your posterior chain because naturally we are quad dominant anyway. So I, what we were doing was actually really quite basic stuff, like just trying to activate their glutes, um, doing like crab walks, single leg glute bridges, teaching them how to do an effective single leg squatting, actually engaging the glute max instead of kind of, you know, over recruiting the, um, the quads, um, teaching them also how to do jump and land on one leg and two legs ensuring that they're actually flexing enough from the hips and the knees um so yeah it was a lot of that kind of stuff and talking to them a lot about keeping alignment in their kind of hip knee and ankle chain um in all kinds of movement whether it's kind of an isolated like you know single leg deadlift or whether it's like a uh an agility exercise where they're actually having to change direction, but also be mindful of where their knees and feet are landing and maneuvering at that time. So yeah, quite quite a mixture in there. Yeah. Yeah. So almost, I guess, being a bit more fluid in their movement, it sounds like they're almost more jarring the joints as they were landing and so on. Yeah. No, I was going to say, which is kind of like the chicken and the egg thing. So you don't know whether the fact that they're jarring uh, and not sort of flexing their knees enough, is that the reason why their glutes are not engaging or is it the other way around? You know what I mean? You could, you could argue it either way. So um, it's an interesting one. Because we, we've noticed, say, now with, with Bjorn, when he jumps, he's, he's obviously three and he's a male, um, He when he jumps, when he lands, like he doesn't, he's not the best at the old uh, receiving that, cushioning that landing well. So he, he often would kind of land with kind of straight legs and we're kind of trying to teach him, you know, try and, you know, bend a little bit more when you land and so on, which, which he's getting better at. Obviously now he's doing a full, like, you know, 
asked to grow a squat when he Squats. lands. He's like, I, yeah. he's like, I, I bet this. my legs, mummy. <laughs> like, amazing. Can we do something in between? But, um, yeah, Aww. it's just interesting even watching that and that development. So, yeah, so, so interesting. Um, okay, so you've been um, – how long have you been in the industry now, my love? Um, it's been about 12 years now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and just what did you, uh, where did you, where do you, where do you work now and where did you start working? Um, right now I work in two studios in North London. So they're both, well, one of them is a personal training studio. The other one is a kind of, um, gym, uh, setting. Um, but there's lots of sort of freelance PTs there. Um, and ironically, when I started, I did actually start at the studio that I'm still at at the moment. So I've been quite loyal over the years. I've just dipped in and out of sort of sometimes when I was studying at uni, I went sort of part time and then took a bit of time out when I was doing my postgrad and then came back. So, um, yeah, but I, I've kind of been well, whilst I was at uni, I actually joined a different gym that was closer to the university, really tiny gym in Harrow. And, um, you know, had my my first literally my first client over there and um just started building it from there really yeah a long time ago and that but the gym that you're at is also um owned by your lovely sister sarah um (laughs) and then and you know when we met which is actually not that long ago but obviously the bond was real and immediate um we then realized that obviously I had worked with Sarah at the very beginning of my career which is which is very cool now that we've kind of uh I'm you know meeting more of the fam and frankly I approve (laughs) so uh, I need need to come down actually and and actually I think I saw the space years ago and obviously um she's expanded yeah. her, her company since then so we've come yes. down and yeah, and, yeah, and, yes. and shift some tin with you Definitely. um and so Definitely. um Nez, you made um quite a big change um some years back um that you felt may have affected your career or, or perhaps others suggested that it might affect your career what what um would you mind speaking about that yeah no sure um so coming out of university i decided basically that um, you know, I wanted to be in the fitness industry. I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. I wanted to work with athletes. I had all my dreams and aspirations. And at the same time, I decided that I wanted to um, get a bit closer to God and kind of practice my faith, as it were. Um, so I wanted to kind of learn a bit more, practice more, and just better myself in general. So um, I made a decision to start um, practicing wearing the hijab, which is covering the head and um, and and body as well. So that was something that was quite a like, I mean, that was a big decision to make at the time because bear in mind, my clients knew me with, you know, my hair out and, you know, in, in my sort of normal clothing. And I was basically to come in the next day fully covered. So I was, I think, very, very nervous about the impact of that. Being in the area that I kind of work, um, there literally is no, there was nobody, um, there was no obvious Muslim trainers that were kind of covered or anything like that so that was really nerve-wracking I kind of felt like I've never seen anyone in this industry that looks like this so how, how does this even you know I just I also thought like are people going to lose credit I know it sounds crazy but I thought you know maybe people would lose credibility and they would in me and just think you know I don't know just sort of judge me by how I look and 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 not even sort of give me a chance and yeah I think that was a that was a difficult decision to make in the sense that um, I just didn't know how it was going to impact me. It was an easy decision because it was from my heart and I was so sincere and 
and genuine and I felt really strongly about it um and it was just trying to figure out how it would how things would work and actually you know it 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 wasn't what I thought it was and I and I was really nervous about it and in the end I felt like if anything it's helped me to be more successful it hasn't actually closed any doors for me I think if anything it's actually opened up some really interesting conversations with clients and it's it's allowed people to see that um you know there is more to there is more to what meets the eye as well because I think it's easy to look at people and see how they look aesthetically or how they're dressed or how they practice their faith and make assumptions about them so it's quite nice to open those dialogues with people that may not otherwise have been able to so yeah and it's it's so interesting like to me in my mind thinking about that like why would changing the way you look or changing the way people have seen you previously change your knowledge and what you do do you know what I mean so you sort of saying well would I lose credibility and all of those things it's like well you're still you're still you you know what I mean like it's yeah no I understand what you're saying but I think I guess for me I came from like a strength and conditioning background I've been working with like the EIS and Saracens all the SNC coaches were big strong muscly men who I'd sort of worked underneath and that industry and the fitness industry was and still is quite male dominated so even being a female was like you felt like you were sort of 10 steps behind let alone being somebody that was obviously practicing their faith um and I think it was more that literally there was nobody that looked like me out there so I felt a bit kind of like oh this is strange like this is territory that I'm just not sure about and um I did feel like people just might make judgment even without meaning to just you know just no for sure and and I think also um as you say you came from yet yeah, a very kind of and 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 to to um a great extent now that the industry is very much male dominated I don't think there's there's anything wrong with that per se it's, it's it's just the way it has been for a while and obviously that's that's now slowly changing but I think the impact that that's had on female coaches is right well who who are the people that I'm that I'm looking up to okay they're they're men um I, I feel sort of perhaps less connected to them than I would be to a woman in the same position because uh, it's easier for me to see that and then so what, what I'm finding the more I kind of um, speak with female coaches is um, to kind of lose all of those kind of fears and inhibitions around actually being the change that you want to see because um, you're like right well no no one else is doing this so I've got no idea whether this is gonna freaking work or not so I just have to roll with it and and hope that it that it works and that that's what you've done which is which is incredible um, what when you made the decision that you were going to uh, move deeper into your faith and and obviously continue working as you were what was the timeline between um even even it, it it becoming a thought to actually you you following through with it and and as you say coming into work the next day and looking different from the day before I think it was literally like between one and two months it was not very long because I, I'd already said to myself like I'm quite a stubborn let's say <laughs> some might say dedicated I think it's really just <laughs> stubborn person that when I kind of or discipline you know when you put your mind to something you're just like right okay so I'm going to do this and mm-hmm. if I sit here and kind of wonder what everyone's going to think about me mm-hmm. I'm never going to do it so yeah. I just have to literally just do it so it was more it was more a case of like just getting on with it really because 
you know, it was it was always going to be, I mean, that first day was always going to be ch- challenging in my mind, not in anyone yeah. else's. So I just yeah. had to just let that just be. Um, had, had I kind of started a job where they'd seen me the first time as I was, there yeah. wouldn't be so much of a kind sure. of issue do you know what I mean so sure, sure. um and I wasn't I wasn't sure what kind of questions I would get and ironically nobody said anything yeah were you a little bit like um sorry hi Come on, guys. <laughs> can we have a just like a quick conversation because <laughs> yesterday yeah, I look different <laughs> yeah no nobody actually said anything which is actually it just made me feel really relaxed I was like these people respect me and they respect like what what service I'm I'm giving to them and how I'm helping them. So, you know, I, I got, I got kind of comments later down the line, which were quite, you know, n- nice actually in some ways. Um, I remember one in particular, uh, one of my clients who's sort of, she's now uh, late fifties and she's, uh, she came to me about six years ago with severe sciatica, like really, really bad. She couldn't walk up a hill. She struggled to walk in general. Um, she was in agony basically. And it was really debilitating. And I basically, worked with her from her assessment um for the next few years on rehabbing um her back pain and um we managed to get her over to the other side where she was she's able to run she can walk she can do light weights she's like going to australia rowing and like she's just an absolute she's amazing and she said to me she did say um there's you know when when uh, Mary recommended you I'll be honest I didn't expect you to look the, the way that you looked she spoke so highly of you um, I just didn't expect you to look the way you looked. And she was like, but I couldn't take anything away from the fact that you completely fixed my back and you've changed my life. And she was like, you know, I can't take that away. And it's like, and it, and it was, it was just from a place of like, just, she was just being very genuine. Like when somebody recommends a personal trainer, you kind of have a picture of like, you know, a big, tall, muscly bloke or, you know, a, whatever the, the case may be. So I think it's like, it was just something slightly different to what she expected. but. Um, you know, it, it was, it was definitely nice. And it's, and it's reassuring to hear things like that, that people just, they persevere despite what they may think initially or their initial thoughts Sure, are. sure. And nice of her to be so honest with you because she could have kept that to herself and be like, I'm just going to keep that to myself and any of my prior judgments. Yeah, no, I think we have really interesting conversations where like she's, you know, we talk about kind of feminism and women's rights and talk about, we have really interesting discussions and stuff and actually our our opinions are so aligned that you just but you wouldn't on paper you would never think so but actually we we agree on so many things and it's so interesting and she's asked me she's asked me questions that she's really interested like she just didn't know so she you know she if there was anything that she wanted to know about islam or wearing a burqa you know why this why that and she would have random questions but it was it's nice that she's just open feels comfortable to ask me I'd rather she asked me than thought things and assumed things and thought you know so it's nice to actually have that kind of be able to have that kind of intellectual conversation with somebody where they can actually just say do you know what I've never met anyone like you so do you mind me asking you this yeah that's fine that needs to happen those sort of discussions need to happen anyway and that's it isn't it you just you just learn through through conversation and and just hearing about other people's lives and how they live and yeah so cool so so cool so basically you had you had no negative kind of um feedback at all no nothing yeah, at all amazing nothing at all i'm i am very lucky i do appreciate that but nothing at all honestly i feel like i remember my husband at the time saying to me because obviously if I if there are any insecurities in, in life, he will always hear of them. So I, I obviously spoke to him about it and I 
and I said like I'm just worried like what if this just kind of limits me in this industry like you know what it's like it's it can be quite superficial and he's and I remember him saying Nez if anything you're going to be more successful than you ever have been and I thought, oh, are you just saying that because you love me? Yeah, you? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just because it's him. But actually, in the end, he was right. And I, I feel so grateful that I had someone in my corner that actually I just listened to and, and you know, made me feel supported as well. And then you, you just give, like, a, a voice to so many other women as well, which is just incredible. You know what I mean? You've done it. So all of a sudden now it's like, right, someone else is like, would well, you know what? I thought that was going to hold me back, but no, Nez has done it. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot. So, and then obviously the, the number increases from there, which is amazing. Um, so 12 years in the, in our fabulous industry, um, how has the, how's the industry changed since, since you first started? It's, it has changed quite a lot, I think, um, the main, I mean, the the most obvious one that sticks out would be, you know, the effect and impact of social media now um, that's made personal training become quite an appealing job and one that people think will make them lots of money and make them really popular online. Um, and, you know, when I first started, it was like we were all fitness instructors to begin with. And we were doing that for like two years where we were doing fitness inductions all day long. We were kind of carrying out consultations we were at like you know gym close time we'd be like literally like mopping down the treadmills and cleaning all the equipment Um, and we and you do and you do that for like two years and you just kind of learn the ropes and um watch other people training you'd make your own little mistakes here and there and you'd find your own way in your own style um and then then you'd kind of evolve into a personal trainer once you'd become quite confident and and you know and feel like good um being on the gym floor with clients and stuff uh, and members but i i feel like now the the journey is quite different i feel like it is quite a fast track to kind of becoming qualified and almost just getting thrown right in the deep end and just right okay go find your clients now um that's that's quite a scary thing for a lot of people and i think i you know i kind of talk to my learners a lot about that on the course about what to expect once they've qualified what's the next steps um, what should they do and and also like why are people kind of why don't people shadow anymore why don't people go and watch what other people are doing and you know and it's it I think now it's kind of things seem like they move very quickly so in that sense it's changed quite a lot um and and yeah and it was like you know when when I first started I literally had one client and I gave that one client my all like it was like the, the programming was couldn't be any more kind of thought out and it was like you know I had I had that time to do all the research and then I had two clients and when I had two clients like you know I was I was working really hard to kind of give them everything I could and learn from other people around me at the same time and I wasn't in a rush to have 30 clients at all because actually I didn't think I could handle 30 clients so I was quite happy to plod along and just slowly and just gent like you know slowly and gently my business would grow over time um but I think there is this thing of like you know my learners on the course they're like thinking that they're just going to come out of here and be able to get 25 clients a week. And I'm like, it's just, you know, it's, you have to just kind of think about the, the long game as we've sort of spoken about before. Um, and, and also decide like, what is your, what is your stance going to be in this fitness industry? Where, what is your speciality? What do you offer to your clients that so-and-so in the gym doesn't offer? So, you know, there's that part of it as well. I think you're right. Like, back then there wasn't this kind of pressure to get a full book of clients or it was it it was very much about um 
learning on the job and you could sort of do that in the comfort of a um you know commercial gym where you know for me um one of the the gyms that I first worked at was fitness first and um new members used to get something called a triple pack and that was something like three half hour personal training sessions and um, so um me as a new trainer I would get all of the triple pack people so that just got me um, speaking to loads of different people, loads of new members. And ideally what would happen um, is that once you kind of took them through their three half hours, they would, you know, hopefully continue training with you. But it just basically meant that I got to to meet a ton of different people because obviously there's a, there's a big difference between, you know, working with your peers in, in PT school or wherever and then, you know, working with 60-year-old Maggie uh, who comes, who's got a bad back and you're like, I don't even know what to do here. Um, so just all of that, there's no pressure with, with getting all of that experience. And then you had, um, like, I don't know, maybe eight to, to 12 other trainers that you could observe on the, on the gym floor as they're training their clients. You could see their styles and learn their styles. Whereas it is very, very different, um, nowadays. And there's a quote, I think I put it up on, uh, if it wasn't on my main feed on Instagram, it was, it was in, in a story, but it was a quote that said, don't let the internet rush you. And I think there's that, yeah, there's this danger of kind of looking what everyone else is doing and then being like, oh, I need to be doing that. I need to be doing that. I need to be doing that. And there is no, like, one or two years of groundwork and and let's be honest when we were doing that back in the day that included cleaning everything like the whole bit it wasn't just you know the the, the joy of writing programs it was like the whole thing um, yeah. and and one to two years is actually no time to spend learning and whereas now I get asked um from uh, from new trainers in the industry you know should I bother doing this course or should I bother doing that course and I'm kind of like well what do you you know what do you want to learn what are you what are you interested in because that's surely how you should be following that like I had um recorded an episode with uh, Lisa Price who's uh, she's who I teach the uh, women's lifting courses with and um you know we were talk- kind of talking about her career path and it was very much um she was pursuing stuff that she was kind of finding out about herself physically and then got like, you know, she went off to um, India. I think it was India. I could be wrong, um, but to study yoga. And then uh, she traveled somewhere else to study this and then she'd meet certain people and then they'd, they'd introduce her to new things. And that's how she kind of studied. And it was all this kind of self-investigation um, or self-study, if you like, that then led her down the path of, of actually teaching herself um whereas I, th- I feel like now everyone feels really really rushed into getting a full book of clients um trying to learn a broad span of everything really quickly which of course you cannot do um because learning takes takes time uh and it's just it's just a different it's just it's just a different space and place isn't it yeah no 100% I agree with you and I think that that can kind of you can kind of, I mean, when you say that, it kind of spreads across to everything, really, not just like work. I think in general, people are doing uh, kind of feeling quite rushed to have what other people have and do what other people are doing. And it's not it's kind of across the board. Um, and the fitness industry is 
growing and growing, which is amazing because there's so much to be learned from everybody. And I, I'm still learning every day from other people. I learn mostly from my clients, obviously, because they're amazing people with wonderful bodies that I'm always figuring out all the time. Um, but, you know, I feel like I'm, for me, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I was quite passionate about what I was doing and I fell uh, into the kind of corrective exercise route, um, helping kind of rehab injuries and postural issues and things like that. So I found something that I really enjoyed doing, um, which is what kind of the advice that I give to my learners, like just see what, what do you think you're going to be good at and what do you think you'll have that will be different to another PT or what, is there something that you could see yourself specializing in or, you know, where just to kind of make them think about where their interests are so that they can provide something extra for their clients in the long term um that's that's unique to somebody else because we're we're all trainers here but i guess we've all come, come on a different journey and we can all provide something quite different based on our expertise and our own experiences so and i think in some respects talking about you know what what's um different about you from other trainers can add a little bit of pressure in a sense because then i think people are like right i've got to start and i've got to find my niche and it's kind of like well you don't just find your niche <laughs> like you have to you have to figure that out over time <laughs> yeah you figure it out and it's just it could be a simple question of what do you enjoy that could that could lead you to that answer very quickly what do you enjoy and it you know and and it also it might change over time like I've said this to you before I my dreams were to work with you know the the England rugby team or like you know I thought I was going to be the S&C coach of a of a you know of, of, of like a big football team or swim squad like I thought I was going to be working with Olympic athletes and that's what I thought I wanted to do because I went down the route of sport and exercise science and I love I love the human body and I love athletes and I find them so fascinating but in the end actually I found something in some I found kind of fulfillment in something slightly different and that's not to say I mean I still work with athletes and I still um coach them but you know my what I do is become slightly specialized just organically over time uh, in a direction that I didn't predict beforehand so it's you know if I just sat there when I first graduated and looked at you know all the really successful SNC coaches at the time and just thought right I need to be I need to be working with the England fencing team that's it that's what I need to be doing and just kind of projecting whatever I see somebody else doing onto myself as like you know I need to do that that's I mean that's I don't think that's the best way to go about things. It's easy to do it and we could all fall into that trap, but you know, it's sometimes we're living we're living with the expectation of something that isn't what what it actually is. You know, we think that we want to do something just because somebody else is doing it and actually we need to figure out what we love and what we're good at because if we love something we can provide so much value to somebody else if we're passionate about what we do so and i think um as well it's funny you saying about where you thought your career was going to start in the very beginning i remember i was assisting um football physios for a couple of seasons and and same i thought that's what i was going to do i soon realized there wasn't a huge amount of space for uh women in football sadly um very different in in rugby and other sports but um unfortunately football at the moment that isn't the case um and that may have changed this is now we're talking kind of um 10 12 years ago um but um but i think yeah as your interests change and i we again i think we get on so well because our our kind of training and uh, coaching backgrounds are so similar. I did a lot on the rehab route. And then I got to a point, I can't remember how long ago it was, maybe four years ago. And I was like, I think I'm done fixing people. 
I am absolutely 100% fix, <laughs> over fixing people's bodies. And then I kind of took a little break from that. And now actually, I, you know, I, I get the more broken someone is that, that I'm like, yep, let me get my hands on you. Let me, <laughs> let me fix you. As well as though, obviously, you know, kind of working in lots of other projects. So I know there's a girl that I'm, um, I guess, mentoring at the moment and, um, she's kind of like, I'm really scared about, you know, the next five years. Like, I don't know if I want to be doing what I'm doing in the next five years. And I'm like, that's, that's fine. Of course you can change. Like I've changed a ton of different things. It's all, you know, fitness ultimately is my passion. So I've, I've been in this industry. It's what, you know, my degree was economics, but I've, I've done since I left university, I spent a year in Japan teaching English, teaching English. And then after that, um, it's always been fitness and I've done a ton of different things, um, within that. And, you know, like I said, I did the rehab, I did the, you know, football physio for a while. Um, just, just obviously I, I do, you know, a lot of work with Nike now. Um, and just, and now obviously the last couple of years, I've kind of actually focused a little bit more, uh, on, on kind of female coaches and just, just women in fitness in general, because I feel like, again, as you know, we've talked about before, um, you know, social media doesn't, doesn't always necessarily, um, give the right information all the time. So say with the summit, for example, I always want to give exposure to incredible female trainers or, or practitioners who have incredible knowledge that needs to be, you know, needs to be imparted on, you know, women who want to, to learn about it basically. And I feel there's a real, a real need for that now. But, um, I think with fitness, you know, it's, you know, and, and it's, you know, entrepreneurial spirit is, 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 you know, very kind of popular these days. So it's kind of like, well, you know, follow your passion and da, 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 da. And it's kind of like, that's awesome following your passion, but it's hard freaking work. <laughs> You've got to put the hours in, you cannot rush it. And you have to be willing to fail again and again and again and again and again. And, you know, I was saying to, um, someone else, I think, I don't know whether it was on a previous podcast or whether it was just in conversation, um, that even as a, even as a coach, when you're programming, um, you will meet a new client and you will initially program what you feel is right for that person with the knowledge that you have, um, based on your experience. But of course you'll have to tweak that depend, you know, their body may not respond to it in the way that you think it's going to. And that's part that, you know, that's part of the joy of coaching as well, right? Just kind of figuring it out, which is again, now why I love fixing people so much. Cause I kind of love tinkering and seeing, right, well, if we do this and da, 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 do that and you know what happens. Um, but you're always figuring out and it's never, you never know everything. Um, and I think that a lot of uh, perhaps new coaches feel like, oh, there's so much to learn and da, da, da. like, yeah, I've been doing this 15 years. You've been doing this 12 years. Sarah's been doing it probably at 15 as well, roughly the same as me, your sister. I'm pretty sure none of us would claim to even begin to know it just a, a, a microscopic piece of all there is to know about, you know, kind of health and well being. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, I just love talking about this cause it's just, it's just so, so interesting. You kind of, kind of want to shake trainers and just be like, just chill everybody, chill, take the time to learn, enjoy it, get off the treadmill for a while, just be cool, don't worry about what everyone else is doing. But of course, easier easier said than done. Um, so so one, one piece of advice you would give to 
uh, new trainers entering the industry? Well, I'd kind of sum up what we just said, which is really just to take their time and and actually just um, spend some time reading, um, reading studies, reading articles, credible scientific articles, just to see where the latest research is at as well, depending on what you're interested in. I would always say you need to keep reading because the science is forever changing. So don't think that what you know is concrete because it never is. It, it always changes. Um, so I would say keep to keep keep reading, read as many books, read as many articles as you can, um, studies, things like that. Uh, and then just focus on your game. So just be in your lane, like on the tracks and just focusing on your lane and nobody else around you. So, you know, take it step by step really slowly and just don't rush. That would be my, my most simplistic advice, but I don't think there's anything else more valuable than that. Just taking your time and just getting, getting to know yourself like and understanding your own body and then just you'll learn stuff from your own clients so don't worry if you meet somebody who's got really bad I don't know pain at the back of their shoulders and you can't figure it out and you you feel like the exercises are making it worse you will figure it out one way or the other you'll go home and research it you'll try something again the next session you'll eliminate what works and what doesn't work so just don't don't be afraid to to, to kind of go through that trial and error um, learning process with your clients as well so it's like you know, it's, some of my learners sometimes ask me, oh, you know, what if I do this with a client and their back hurts? I'm not going to know what to do. You will figure it out. You have to trust yourself. Like you've got, there's a knowledge out there online. There's lots of, there's all this kind of scientific um, articles and studies that you need on 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 the web that you can have. Uh, and, and the rest you can kind of apply apply from what you've read and, and based on that person standing in front of you. So don't, you know, believe in yourself, for goodness sake. It's it's so easy for people to just think, oh, you know, I just don't know it. I'm not going to know what to do. And, you know, if, if they come to me with an injury, I, you know, I, I didn't know what to do at the beginning. I had all the theory, but it wasn't until I actually put my hands on people and, and, and was figuring out how to work through various different injuries that um, I started to understand them a bit more. I, I also didn't know you know, like I said, I know the theory, but putting it into practice with people that are very unique, um, and and that is everybody. And if somebody will come to you with, I don't know, Achilles tendonitis, and you think, okay, well, I know what the treatment plan, I know what we need to do, I know what we have exercises to give you. And actually, what happens if they don't work? They might not work. So you, and that's okay. That's okay. You will figure it out through trial and error, and through like you know continued research and continue to try. You will figure it out one way or the other. But that does require you to not be focusing on what everyone else is doing and what everyone, you know, is, is claiming to be doing. You have to be focused on your own lane because, you know, we're all trainers in this industry and we all provide something very unique. So, you know, there's, there's no point trying to compare yourself to the next person. Yeah. And also I think, um, I think two points from what you said there, um, also just be honest with your clients on that clients on that as well. So just say, okay, we're going to try this now and see how, your body responds to that so you know you, you try whatever it is and then let's say if you're seeing them in the morning you, you drop them a note that night how's it feeling you drop them a note the next day how's it feeling now um so you know they're learning and, and and they're feeding back as because also particularly from a rehab perspective um it's it's not just the work that you do as a, as a coach and trainer obviously it's you know that you you want for the client to be um, ideally as engaged in their rehab um, as you are. Another thing I would just say, um, just from the, the, the reading and, and, and studying perspective, um, I, I completely agree with that in terms of 
you know, kind of increasing your knowledge and just kind of researching and finding out. But sometimes I think people can get stuck in, right, I must do all of the research before I can even begin. Oh, um, no, no, no. Yeah, so, no. And I, and I know, and I know that I know that that's not what you meant, but I think that I, of course your point was, look, the information is out there, go and seek it out. Um, but I know for some people that, that may have perfectionist tendencies or whatever, they're like, right, I must read the next 20 articles on this. So almost, if you can limit yourself to right, do you know what? I'm going to take these three pieces of, um, research or, or or this chapter from this book or whatever or speak to this person that, that, that I know may be able to help me and then work work with that if if that doesn't work then you go back to the drawing board because we can kind of get what's what's that term um paralysis by analysis so just kind of looking into it too much without actually taking taking the action to move forward um no I agree with you 100% on that I just think the fundamentals of the science you it's important that you understand where you're coming from and you're not guessing you're not guessing what's happening so as long as you you've read enough to give you the understanding of the science behind what you're trying to you know work on and achieve so as long as you understand the fundamentals then when you go to implement it it might not be implemented in the way that you've read or researched that's fine but as long as you kind of understand the theory behind it and where the science is coming from, okay, fine. So, but this person isn't responding well to that, so we might have to change that a little bit. That that all that's why it's that's why I sort of said trial and error. But it- no, no, definitely, definitely. I just know that uh, as a recovering perfectionist, I would have been like, right, I'm gonna hold myself up for the whole weekend and research this, as opposed to just going right. Let me give myself a, a better idea. Go back, give this a shot then move then move forward so um okay cool so moving on from that um you are also an incredible fighter can you just tell us briefly about that because we haven't even touched upon that yet oh yeah we haven't yeah small so detail I, um, <laughs> yeah small detail I, um i started muay thai eight years ago um stumbled across a amazing thai boxing gym in Burnto in northwest london and fell in love with the exercise just fell in love with the sport um did one session and was just like I mean I was I was on the floor and this is like somebody who's done sports their whole life and competed at quite a decent level you've also threatened to take me through a session which I'm I think I'll yeah, be yeah, yeah. I think I'll be washing my hair um so yeah anyway carry on <laughs> no 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 you're, you're you're coming I'm coming to pick you up I'll be outside waiting oh god <laughs> okay um but yeah so it's I mean it's such an exhilarating and like empowering sport and, and and form of exercise so I just fell in love with it the first session I, I knew I'd kind of like some kind of martial art boxing but I wasn't really sure what so I just it was just by pure luck I stumbled across this gym um and I kind of I was just in awe of all the fighters I was like wow these guys look at their technique they're amazing and it was like you know one simple movement like a body kick or a low kick required so much technique I was so fascinated by it and I was like Do you know what I really want to be good at this so I kind of stuck at it for for, for a few years, um, just going to like the beginners class. Literally, I would go like every day, just train for like an hour, but just chipping away at the kind of technique and stuff. Um, I think I think it was about two years in. I had um, some amateur competitions, like non-decision bouts, just where you're wearing like shin pads. Uh, you fight somebody else from another gym who's the same weight as you and similar experience. Um, and it's just kind of almost controlled sparring. So that's how I started it all off, just to get used to being in the ring and practicing some of the stuff that I'd learned in sparring and on the pads. Um, and then went to Thailand, fell in love with 
um, Thailand, Koh Samui, which is where we always go. Our friends got a gym there, um, WMC Lamai. Um, and we we just I just loved it. Like it was just the island life. You're like training twice a day, but you get to kind of just lie on the beach in between and and eat all the good food. So it was amazing. The training was just so hard. I mean, I can't even tell you, but it was it was amazing. And I, I literally had no idea that my first trip to Thailand, I'd actually have a fight out there. So I thought... So you, so you hadn't planned to, but then they were like, oh, let's give it a go. Yeah, I thought, yeah, basically. <laughs> I just, I thought to myself, well, I'm not going to say no, I'm here. I've like, I've had a couple of like amateur bouts and I just thought, you know what, I'm here. Like, let's, let's give it a go. Uh, in Thailand, it's, it's full Thai rules. So there's no shin guards. There's no protection. You are fighting with gloves and nothing else. Can we, can I wear all of the things that I need to protect me when you take me for a session? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you were like Jocelyn. Why do you why do you have a complete knight's armor on you? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh gosh, but yeah. So I I, I did my first um, full tie rules fight in Thailand um, a couple of years into the training, um, and it was it was a it was a really I mean very nerve wracking experience because I was fighting in a big stadium with lots of people watching, and I you know it was yeah I was sitting in the changing room right next to my opponent. Oh, wow, it was really okay, just. Yeah, yeah, that was really nerve wracking. And I just think I kept looking at her and I'm like, I can't stop looking at her. And I just, it was just a really surreal experience. And what, yeah, was she, got, what was she doing? She just like, she was very blase. She almost looked like she didn't even come, like she was just very blase about the whole thing. She just looked very calm. And I just thought, oh my God. Did that which, make you, you know, nervous? I, in a way, I was like, gosh, that's either a good thing or a bad thing. And yeah. I couldn't decide which it was. I was like, am I going to find out, out anyway. or she's so calm. She's yeah. just going to strike me with one. Literally. <laughs> um, but no, I, I managed to do, I did well. I, I, I won second round knockout. So that was, I was happy with that. Um, my performance in hindsight was shocking compared to what I think I, what I would do now. But I mean, I was, I was still a baby in the game. I, you know, I was still learning. Um, and then, yeah, I just came back and kept perfecting my crafts, kept going, kept training. Um, and, you know, and then obviously a couple of years later, I decided to start wearing the hijab, which actually, as much as I mentioned, it was a big point for my work. It was actually a really kind of big moment for my Thai boxing because I actually thought and believed at that point I'd never fight again. Um, just because... Well, I'd never seen anyone fight fully clothed, first of all, because as a woman, you normally just wear a sports bra and shorts or a vest and shorts. I didn't even know, like, if you were even allowed to fight in, a, in, in you know, covering and stuff like that. So they're very particular about certain things like that. So, I, you know, it was like I'd never, there was no one doing that. And I just thought, I don't even know if, if these two things can go together. Maybe I just can't do it now. I just didn't even know. I felt sort of in that moment, I was just a bit like, unsure about where things were going to go but I just in my head I just said look I'm just going to keep training hard I still want to be good at this um and just time will just tell so I kept training um and you know I was still going to Thailand back and forth doing training camps out there but I wasn't necessarily competing at the time my husband was kind of in his prime uh he was doing amazing in his career he'd already like racked up um European titles British titles he'd got his first world title he was representing GB at the IFMA Games so he was like literally at the peak of his career so I was really there supporting him through that journey and and you know very much loving every moment of it because it was it was really exciting um and and you know then we when we had um my daughter I you know I thought to myself well if I'm ever going to do it again maybe now's the time like (laughs) 
So basically, while I have loads of time on my hands, go, yeah. (laughs) So, you know what? I just, so I had her and had to fight my way back to fitness. and and decided to just get back in the ring really I just thought to myself if I'm you know I don't want to live my life with regret I want to I need to try it and see if I can do this nobody else is I can't see any other women around um at that well a few years ago I, there were, I, I couldn't see anyone online that was you know competing in a, in a hijab um and as time went on you, I started to notice that there were one or two, like there was one lady, Carol Earl, in Australia. She was competing with a hijab. Um, so I thought, okay, so this is, like people are trying to do this, like this is possible. So that kind of gave me inspiration. But like, I mean, on the UK scene, there was just zero, like there wasn't anybody. Um, so in terms of like fighting in the UK, it still felt pretty much like I was stepping into unknown kind of territory. So um I still decided to do it because I just thought, well, no one's doing it. There's got to be a first. There's got to be someone to kind of just get stuck in. You know, we can't, I can't just be held back uh, by my own kind of inhibitions and, and, and worries and concerns. So, um, so yeah, I just expressed um, to my coach and to Sal that I wanted to, to start fighting again. So just started to up the training and I told them to keep a knife. There was any like shows or anything. Um, if they could get me a match. Um, I was supposed to fight before I went to Thailand this year, but it actually got cancelled. The show got cancelled, so I never got to do that fight, which is a bit um, frustrating. But I ended up going straight to Thailand and um, just competing out there because I thought, well, if I'm not going to get anything here, I know I can fight in Thailand. And my first fight was literally back in the stadium in Samui. Um, and yeah, and I, and I won and I, and I've, I became the first hijabi to, to compete in Thailand in a Thai stadium. So that was literally one of the best moments like of my life, really. Um, other than having my daughter and getting married. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was kind of surreal. Yeah. And um, how, how long, so, so after you had um, little one, like what, what was the time frame between? Okay. So she, she's three now. Um, and I would have, I, I basically, well, it's basically two two years two and a half years um but I think the first year I wasn't you know I wasn't hitting pads I wasn't going at it on the pads you know I was just slowly building up my strength and just getting the technique back and stuff like that it was only sort of between when she was about one and two that I really started to up my training and you know really start working on stuff and getting back into sparring and then yeah she was two when we went to Thailand um and that's when I went out there and um, had my fight out there and then I came as soon as I came back had about a month like a month where I was kind of like recovering um from that fight because my, my ankles were like I looked like Shrek after that fight so I had to kind of recover my poor ankles and and then yeah and then I fought I fought again in July um on a show um just outside just sort of up by Kent um sides uh, and then yeah and then I won that fight and that was so that's so it's been quite a an exciting kind of comeback in a way um I feel like I've just fallen in love with the sport even even more and just feel feel really kind of inspired by it all really the fact that I I just feel like I'm so happy that I managed to just push through and do it uh, despite my own reservations about it um uh so so yeah that was basically it yeah so so good um because I know that we when, when we first met we both kind of um spoke about the fact that we don't uh, our fitness and our training is very much about us. And I, people are probably sick of me talking about this now, but, um, we don't necessarily talk a huge amount about, um, 
you know being mums and and our training and and all of that kind of stuff um because it's very much for us and um just uh, and and with and that being said obviously the more you take care of yourself the the better you are as a parent or a partner or a coach or or whatever but um reminds me of a, I've just been scrolling furiously through my Instagram because I remember when I was pregnant with um Bjorn and a lot of people used to say to to me oh well you know when you're about to have a baby you know will you be able to compete will you be able to do this will you be able to do that and some people were a bit some a bit surprised and I was kind of like well yeah why would I not continue on doing what I'm doing and 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 you know much respect to uh, parents who make the decision to completely focus you know solely on you know the raising of their kids and and maybe uh, put aside what they've been doing for themselves whether it's training or competing or whatever else but um i i put um a quote up it was just just before i had Bjorn. and actually it was by um cg jung and it was uh, nothing has a stronger influence psychologically on their environment and especially on their children than the unlived life of the parent and it's it's just so so true that you are still you and you know you made that like you, you did you were in that ring and you were fighting in thailand winning um when little one was just was just two years old and that's incredible and and, and if, if anything like you made the decision after you had her right well there's no time like the present <laughs> so i know it's it sounds totally illogical really <laughs> but yeah there is logic behind it i promise <laughs> um but, but incredible and actually if i if i think about it and even my own training it was probably um around that time maybe when bjorn was about yeah kind of 18 um months to two years where where i was kind of training um or that my training was at a level that i was really you know, pleased with, and you're kind of like, yeah, I've totally freaking got this. And um, one, one um, other thing that you you talked about was that your husband was obviously at the peak of of his career, um, kind of at a, at a similar time, and obviously, or, or sorry, prior to that, sorry, and you were you were supporting him. Um, and I know that you mentioned that you've had lots of people. Um, sort of say to you, oh, you know, couple goals or, and you're kind of like, yeah, um, do you know what it's like to sometimes have to support? Yeah. Can I, do you want to just yeah. talk about that briefly? Yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, I've, I've, I've watched Sal fight since he was an amateur. So when I first watched him fight, we were just, you know, we were just members of a gym that knew each other and teammates. And, and I was watching him from back then and, I've watched him evolve as a fighter, which has been so exciting. Um, but essentially, as we when we got married and I was living with him whilst he was going through the ups and downs, it's 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 not without its challenges. Like it's if you anyone that's married to it or living with or going out with or <laughs> connected to a fighter that is on fight camp and knows what what it's like to go for a run when you're starving and have not and like just to constantly be feeling so tired and you know, you've got no energy to talk to the other person and you're feeling demotivated some days and your sparring didn't go as well as you thought it should and you're feeling off your game and all those things that happen during fight camp, as well as moments where you feel amazing and like you know you're going to win the fight. There are moments at where you have to be there for that person and, you know, there's nothing that I'd rather do than support him and I, I'm so happy I was able to do that. 
Um, but I think it's so easy to say like, oh gosh, wow, your husband's a world champion. Listen, I, there's no one more proud in the world than me. Like I'm so proud of him. Um, but it does take, a, I mean, do you, do you know what it physically feels like to watch your loved one in a ring fighting, like on the top level? Like it's, it's difficult. I've been in like, I've, I remember once I was in my, in my, my mom and dad's house, Sal was fighting in Vegas. He was fighting the, basically one of the legends in the, in the sport, Yodson Klai, who is just, you know, the king of Muay Thai, basically. He got an opportunity when he was very young to fight him. Um, and I was streaming it from London at the time. And I'm on the phone to my coach's wife, screaming at her, saying that my feed is frozen. Like, what's happening? And it's just like, and you're there, like, you're about to just be sick in your mouth. Like, you can't even control the nerves because... One, I, I wasn't even physically there, and I'm, and I can see bits, and it's freezing, and I'm like, what's happening? And it's, and it's, and it, and that's a whole other level of like, you know, even even when you're live, when you're there with him when he's fighting, it's like he's in there alone, and I can't, you know, I know, I know he's going to smash it, but there is somebody else in that ring that wants to win just as much, if more, than he does. So it's like, you know, it is, it is, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of like kind of mental toughness to be able to stand there. And, and just kind of have that poker face and just support them through it, through the ups and definitely through the downs. Because like any fighter will tell you that there's been fights where they literally think, do you know what, I don't think I'm 100% for this fight. Like I've got a nibble here and my shin's hurting and my ankle's a bit mashed. Like, you know, there'll be, th there'll, be, there'll be things happening during that fight camp that's making them think they're not actually ready for it. And it's, and you know, they, they'll have that support team hopefully around them, which is what I, I was obviously trying trying to be for Sal which is just to remind him that listen it's okay like you know you'll be fine like just have a session tomorrow see how you feel and you have to be there for them to kind of provide that support for them 24 7 because it's it's a it's a it's a really I mean fight uh, competing at any sort of elite level is is comes with so much sacrifice and dedication and and perseverance and and mental strength so you we often forget the people that are in the background supporting those athletes cooking cooking them their meals taking them to training and just like emotionally supporting them when they're feeling drained and they're literally day before weigh in and they they're literally at their most angriest because all they want to do is just drink a big glass of water and they're so dehydrated and so tired and you know they've had a long fight camp and it's like you've got to be there for that person so it's all good and well saying couple goals but actually like you've got to ask yourself whether you could even be tough enough and and ready to kind of put yourself on the side of a ring and watch your partner fight somebody else who's literally trying to rip their head off. Like it's a, it's, it's not for, it's not for everyone. And that doesn't mean I'm not saying I'm tougher than the next person or I'm better than like, I'm literally just saying it just, it takes a certain amount of resilience and luckily I'm in the sport. So I understand it. And I know it kind of keeps it in perspective for me because I, I have fought as well, but it's, it's not, it's not always that easy, but at the end of the day, when, when the referee, you know, puts his hand up and he only wins the fight it's the best feeling in the world and nothing compares to that because I I know what he sacrificed to get there I know the training he put in to get there I'm the one that's done his strength and conditioning for 12 weeks I know what he's put in I've seen him come back from his long runs and he's he can't even talk he's sitting he's sitting in the bathroom just literally just recovering and you know it's 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 an it's an amazing experience um but you know, like I said, it's it's best not to kind of just look at people and think, oh, you know, I, I wish I had that. I wish I had a champion husband, or I wish I had this, that, and the other. Because it's like we all have what what was what I, well, I believe we all have what it, what is made for us and what we're supposed to have. I think you know, because mm -hmm. because certainly with with fighting, what what you know, 
most people see is like the, the the actual fight itself and then you know hopefully you know the glory for the the, the person that you want to win um but yes not the not the commitment that that goes into and that and that's for that's for obviously across so many different sports um but you're so right that the sort of you know the kind of sparkly bit at the end um is just really really the the, the tip of the iceberg in comparison to to all of the work, the not so fun stuff that's and, and as you say, the emotional support and um, that isn't always easy. Um, that that kind of has to be put in be, be behind the scenes. Um, one thing um, I'm just going to go back uh, just briefly to what you spoke about just in your in your own training and how um, you started out for the the first two years and also then um, after you had little one how you built back up and it just is really, really aligned with what we were talking about um, with coaching as well. And, and being a trainer or being a fitness instructor, you know, you, you spoke about those first two years when you f- first started out, you were just kind of, you know, playing around tinkering, just kind of slowly learning, taking your time. And obviously now you're, you're a fantastic athlete and have have so much behind you and then but but you you did the same thing after you had little one you slowly built back up and as you say it was a really really tough journey back to to fitness um but the 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 theme is the same like there's no there's no and and that for me is the is the and and every coach knows every trainer knows um, even those who don't have any experience, that it takes time even to get results through training. That's why we program. That's why we have progressions. That's, you know, why we do all of that stuff, whether it's a, you know, a whatever kind of a cycle. Um, and that that in itself speaks for itself. And yet there's still the rush to kind of, or, you know, someone might see you fight and be like, I want to get there. How am I going to get there? Rather than, okay, do you know what? I'm going to put my, you know, pride, which, which currently I don't deserve to have, frankly, if you haven't even done it. Um, but you know, at the back and just slowly, slowly build and fall down a ton of times and get back up and just, you know, kind of slowly increase and improve and, and get there but it was just the same we've we've spoken about the same thing whether it's through your fighting or whether it's through through building your career and it's just that patience and and just taking the time it is patience patience and perseverance like it's there's trust me when I say there was so many sparring sessions that I had before I stepped back in that ring that I literally if I had tears I could have cried and just I was so I you know, you have some sessions where you feel completely demotivated. And I, I've, I've, you know, I've been sparring for two hours with the best of the boys in my gym. And I, I start thinking to myself, that's such a rubbish day today. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I'm just not good enough. And those are the, and we have to be honest as athletes as well. These are the thoughts that we do get. Like we do, it's not, you don't just, that doesn't just stop happening. Like you, you get, well, I, I guess maybe you, you build up more resilience over time, but don't get me wrong. I've had sessions where I've just thought, oh my goodness, what is going on? Like, you were pathetic today. Like this is this, and I will literally like sit there and think, what is happening? Like I didn't do anything that I was supposed to do, and I feel completely rubbish. And it's like persevering through those sessions is is is, is the most important thing. And obviously, like we were saying about the whole journey, even for me back to fitness, I'm sure back for you it was the same. Um, you know, having those first few sessions, I still remember my first run. That was the first thing I did after I had Yasmin, um, as just being not just a terrible experience on the whole like it was just I don't like people sort of people 
so oh you you look amazing I can't believe you've had a baby and it's like that's so lovely to hear that but you just god you don't realize like the the kind of what goes behind the scenes to get back to shape it's really not easy especially being sleep deprived you know breastfeeding not having any energy like it's not it's not it's not an easy journey it's one that just requires patience and I'm not I'll be honest with you I'm not the most patient person I do have to talk to myself and I do have to get a pep talk from Sal every now and again but you know eventually eventually you, you get there yeah and have you ever have you ever specifically worked on on mindset or it's just something that you've kind of because you know you've spoken about days where you do feel demotivated and so on so you know, I study sports psychology in, at university so I you know there are, I, I do have some some knowledge in that area not not a vast amount I'll be honest but I do have some knowledge and I haven't done any training but um I'm I'm the kind of person that I can kind of like I almost just have to kind of hype myself or pep talk myself because otherwise I can let just like any other athlete I can let those negative thoughts sometimes take over so I have to literally just talk to myself like Nez come on let's just let's go home today sleep and tomorrow it will be another day and we'll go back and next week will be better. And if I'm really feeling down, I, I will share that moment, you know, with Sal, with my husband and just say to him, look like, you know, what happened to you today? Why was I like that? And sometimes it, having that, he will give me some kind of reassurance that he's had those days and they come and that's what makes you a better athlete and a better fighter. And, you know, next week you'll be even better because you'll work on those things that didn't work for you last time. So sometimes sharing it for me is helpful, but, but sometimes I, I, I am able to kind of, just push things to the back of my mind and just think, do you know what? That's the end of that. I'm just going to forget about it. I'm going to go in the car, drive home. When I get home, I'm going to sleep. Tomorrow will be another day. That's it. There's nothing I can do. It's done now. I didn't have a great session. I can't do anything about it. You know, it's so easy to dull on those things. And I've often, I often have, but, um, you know, I tried my best to kind of just give myself a little pep talk, like, right, come on, just pick up your gloves. Let's go. We'll do it again another day. And that's, um, I, I was speaking with um, Alex Hipwell um, on an episode. She's a, a figure athlete and she speaks about, you know, the same thing. If she's, if, if the day is just terrible, she's like, right, you know what? I'm done here. I'm getting an early night because I'm sick of my own head. And, you know, tomorrow is a new day. And, and sometimes that, that is the best thing that you can do because it's just like, you know what? The longer you're awake, the longer you're just going to be talking absolutely whatever to yourself. So it's better that you just put yourself to bed so you can stop that conversation and then, and then, you know, go the next day or, you know, kind of write it down in a journal, get it out of your head. That's, a, that's another thing that I've spoken to, to people about, but, um, and as you say, then you, you also, not, not only are you building resilience in your training, but you're also building um, resilience uh, through mindset as well. When you know, like, right. Okay you've had that negative experience you know you've gotten through that um and then you you know you can you can move forward from that the next time that happens and um, again I, when I was chatting to Alex I was I was talking about one session there was a point at which and this was probably in and around that time um when Bjorn was between kind of 18 months and two years and I could only fit training in um kind of really really late at night so it was kind of like eight or nine o'clock and for, for me I was used to you know before I had him you know I'd be doing my two a days I'd train at 10 I'd have food have a little nap even then I'd train at two you know the glory days and uh, <laughs> and um you know, I was saying to, I was saying to Alex that, you know, I was at the gym super late and I, I, the session itself wasn't even that long, 
I had so many rows with myself. Like the one one side was just going, why don't you just go home? You could just go home. It's late. There's not many people here. Why don't you just go home? Why don't you just go home? And then and then um, the other part of me was just like, you know, just get on and do it. And I had just listened to um, a podcast um, that featured this guy, Jason Sewer. And he had this, um, he said this thing where he said, stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Um and I, so the, the, the part that I was listening to is you can just go home. 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 And then I would talk to myself and say, right, get back in the bar, do that, do that next lift. And when I would talk to myself, like still obviously in my head, not out loud. So I look like some crazed woman at the gym. Um, I would listen because it just shut down the other voice in my head. And, but I, I kid you not, I went on like this for about one and a half hours or two hours for what should have only been about a 45 minute session, but it was so good to have gone through it because then, you know, the next time um, that I even thought about, I was like, I'm not going to be dicking around for two hours arguing with myself. I'm just going to get the session done because then I'm going to, I'm going to get out of here. So um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, and, and the mindset stuff doesn't go away. As you say, everybody has it. So I think again, you know, like, people think, and especially for kind of newbies at the gym, it's kind of like, you know, you always, we always kind of talk about, you know, part of the thing is actually just getting there. You kind of feel good, you know, once you've, once you've done the workout. And I think that people that are new to training or that haven't been training for very long think that Olympic athletes don't feel that way. And of course they feel that way, but they just know that that's just part and parcel of, of, kind of how it how it goes so we're 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 not different in in, in that way I was just gonna say that's interesting that you said that because me and Sal had this conversation the other day in the car and I said to him like on my last so my last fight um I was warming up and I felt for some reason all of a sudden I felt really nervous my opponent's gym kept trying to watch me warm up and watch me on the pad and I'd seen my opponent and I basically just actually just felt really nervous all of a sudden and I kept saying to him like when I was warming up, I kept saying, I'm getting out of breath. Like, and he was like, all right, let's just relax, take it easy. Like, let's just slow down the pad work. Let's just focus on movement. So he could see that I was obviously quite nervous. I wasn't like outwardly that anyone else would know, but he knew. Um, and we've kind of had a conversation about that. And I said to him, I don't know why I was so nervous last time. I wasn't even that nervous in Thailand in comparison. And I said to him, how, how have you done it? Like, how have you fought at the top level? And how do you stop those thoughts about your opponent from getting to you? Because in Thai boxing, you are facing somebody else. Somebody else that sometimes is more muscly than you, is more ripped than you, who looks like an animal, and you are literally thinking, and you can almost hype yourself up about somebody in your head before you've even stepped in the ring and, and before you even know what they're like. So we had a conversation, like, how do you get past that? And he was like, it was interesting to talk to him like about it. He was saying, you know, a lot of it comes down to, you know, when you've had that many fights, you do trust the game plan and you do trust the training that you've done. So you know, and he was like, your focus shifts away from your opponent and shifts to the strengths that you have and what you are going to do in your fight. So rather than thinking she's a really good puncher or he's a really good kicker, you start thinking, right, I'm going to work on this and I know this is going to work for me. And it's like, obviously you have to be adaptable in the ring, but I just was so interested in his mindset and how actually I felt like fundamentally it was quite different to mine that day when I felt quite nervous. Um, and I was like, how do you overcome that? Like you fought in Las Vegas, you fought like all over the world in Hong Kong in front of like thousands of people. How do you, how do you overcome that? And it's so interesting to hear his insight after having 60 professional fights. You know, you just, 
your mindset change changes completely and and him sort of explaining to me that yes he does get nervous but actually the nerves are a good thing um and the things that come into play are you know just feeling like you trust the process you trust your training um you trust your coach you trust your training camp that you've just gone through and you also trust your game plan so that was really interesting for me and there's another um one of my um very first crossfit coaches um the guy called Jamie Tikkanen um he i remember he used to say um you've got your think space and you've got your workspace so let's say if i was about to do um an olympic lift let's say i was about to snatch to stand like you know a couple of feet away from the bar think about what i needed to do first and then step to the bar and just lift it like don't step to the bar put my hands on start thinking right i need to do this that keep it close stay over whatever it is because you you know as soon as you start thinking about what you're doing it's like you know you'll know if you if, even if you say to clients put up your left hand or put up your right hand or look left or look right that they very often don't aren't actually told to look at their left or their right or turn left or right. So they have to kind of think about it. And it's something that would come very naturally normally. But as soon as you get someone thinking about the movement that they're about to do, it kind of confuses them a little bit. Um, and so that was what he spoke about. Like you've got your think space and you've got your workspace and don't, don't mix them. Um, because that's what, when you, when you start to overthink, especially something like Olympic lifting, as you know, um, you can completely overthink, um, you know, they're such technical lifts, but, um, you know, you can, you can completely psych yourself out of it as well. Um, so, uh, so, so good. The psychology of, is, of, of, of kind of sport and training is so, so cool, isn't it? Um, I will, um, I will eventually be speaking with, um, Katie Page, who's a, who's a sports psychologist that I worked with, um, maybe, maybe about four or five years ago now. And, um, and she always used to just say to me, look, you know, cause I, you know, I, I, I used to speak with her maybe weekly, I think, um, initially. And, you know, I'd come back to her with these revelations and I'd be like, oh my God, you never guess what. And, you know, and she'd be like, see, you know, you know, it, it's all there, but you just have to kind of quiet your, your mind and, you know, kind of, kind of focus, but, and, and, you know, over time, and I used to take notes of all the, all of the kind of like my learnings and stuff. And, um, and, and for sure I've, I've kind of not having practiced that for a while, I've, I've, you know, regressed in many ways, I'm sure, but just kind of getting back into that and, and, you know, just the power of your mind and how that can work. And her story is really interesting actually, because she, um, I think when she was 19, um, she used to row and I want to say she was a horse rider as well. I could be completely wrong about that, but either way she was a, she was a fairly competitive athlete. And then she basically got a, a, a virus, um, that turned her quadriplegic. Um, so, and then she was put into, um, home because obviously her parents still had to work to kind of, you know, um, finance their lives and of course look after her. And, um, so she was put into, um, a home and like a kind of, uh, I guess she was a day patient. Um, and I know she said, you know, she called up her mum and she was like, get me out of here. Like, I'm not going to get better here. Um, and, um, and then she kind of slowly, uh, kind of studied sports psychology and mindset and all of those things. And, and she started walking again. She started having full use of her arms again. And she was completely 
you know, this was com- this completely baffled, you know, the doctors and the surgeons. And then she went and studied sports psychology in the States and, and, you know, and she was told she could never have children. And now she has a gorgeous little boy. And, you know, so she just completely, and, and she's like 100%. And, and now she works with Olympic athletes. She, she's incredible. She's so lovely. She spoke at the summit actually last year. Um, but, um, I'll, I'll get her onto the, the, she's, she's agreed to do, um, uh, podcast. I'm super excited to speak to her about that, but she's amazing and just shows like the power of, of, you know, mindset and, and what it can do. Like our minds are incredibly powerful. Um, but we, we, we kind of never go beyond the kind of light noise, (laughs) you know what I mean? And go a little bit deeper. Um, okay. So just to, just to, um, finish up, I, you know, I'm obsessed with recovery. Um, what, what, what's your best way to, to recover Inez? Mine might be a little bit unorthodox. So I, in terms of, yeah, I mean, for me, a recovery day actually involves quite a lot of mobility, like stuff at home really. So for me, what I'll do is literally grab a lacrosse ball, grab a foam roller and spend a good 15 to 20 minutes, like loosening off and just going through some stretches and actually work like kind of trying to basically work on the things that I don't want to inhibit me through the next week of training. Um, so I know that I've, in other words, I know I've got some muscles that are slightly overactive, a little bit too tight, and sometimes they can inhibit other muscles from working when I'm we're lifting weights or doing Muay Thai. So um, on my recovery days, um, as much as it's about getting all the sleep, <laughs> I do tend to um, give myself some time to actually focus on mobility and make sure that I'm making some improvements in that area because that actually has a big impact on my performance in general whether it's weightlifting or Muay Thai so um, for me that's really important um, and that's what I that's what I tend to do but the other thing I mean I can't wait to talk about this because it's one of my favorite topics but sleep uh, just to give yes. you a teaser <laughs> because if I could sing I'd do this big hallelujah right now but people might just stop listening so I'm just not going to do that but yes 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 sleep I'm like I'm queen sleep my if well when you meet Sal uh, if you ever end up having a conversation about Nez and sleep he, you you might see a different side of him where he's slightly <laughs> gets a little bit frustrated about the topic because I often will choose sleep over anything like anything in life <laughs> I, I'm like the minute it is ten o'clock, I am ready to KO. I can't even. I've never been allowed. I've never been able to kind of stay up late. Even at uni, it was a big struggle for me. I love my sleep, so um, you know, between on those days when I'm when I know that I need to be resting and recovering, I'll often have like either a power nap during the day, or I will definitely sleep um, by between nine and ten o'clock that evening because physical recovery is between ten and two. So I I know that I need to be getting a few extra hours sleep. I know my body as well. Um, on those sorts of days I really feel the benefits of having a few more extra hours um, and and that's just that's just me personally but um, we'll definitely go into a bit more detail of that um, on the summit but yes yeah lovely and where where are you going to go into detail about that Nez Oh well, at the wonderful summit, the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yourself and Sarah are going to be um, covering recovery on the Sunday, uh, which is the day for for fitness enthusiasts. So it's just going to be so so cool to uh, listen to the two of you um, present together. A because you're an awesome duo, um, and, and also just uh, I, I just feel like our backgrounds are so 
similar and we've done so much of the same stuff and it'll just be really really nice to hear um your perspective on 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 recovery and and just to to teach that to to everyone else i'm so excited for that so it's 27 i'm so honored that i've been ah no easy it's easy easy to select you my love um you're saying it's on the 27th yes 27 the 28th of october um the website is up or the page is up so it's just on uh, justinthompsonrule.com and on there you can uh, find out um just by clicking on the women in fitness summit and you will find the full schedule there day one is for fitness professionals and day two is for fitness enthusiasts um, i've had most people buy tickets to both days actually so far this year which is which is cool um so i'm kind of like yeah god how would i choose between the two um because they're, they're they're both very very cool days so yay i'm super excited yeah, I'm about that i'm so excited i'm so so yay. excited so hopefully we we can make um our talk about recovery interesting and hopefully give people something to take home with them you will you will of course um and and where can people find Ginez? um you can find me on the gram um hijabi lifts so yeah and um yeah and also we've got our i've got a website tyfitlondon.co.uk which is where you can sort of see what classes we run around london um and yeah so that's me yay nez you superstar it has been so so good talking with you obviously i'm completely crapping myself about having to ever uh train with you and i will come fully clad i'm now thinking when you're talking about your your um ankles after um thailand i might wear some leg warmers no it's, um it's, <laughs> fy it's not the same thing i won't be kicking you in the shin as as it were so don't worry you will be kicking a pad it will be all safe i will make it fun and enjoyable for you don't worry i'll be letting out these little yelps as i kick just so you're gonna be like okay just should we just do something else pick up a barbell <laughs> stick to what you know <laughs> no you should hear me on the pads i don't think it's actually possible to kick pads without making a noise and if you can do it without making a noise i just don't believe you're doing it properly like every, <laughs> anyone that does tie boxing has their own little sound and now that i've told you if you watch any of my videos you'll now be like oh that's what it is <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like I feel like mine's going to be this little like pathetic squeak. Like it's okay, it's uh, fine, it's fine. It's gonna you're going to be fierce. You're going to be so strong. I can't wait to like, oh, honestly. Yes, you wait. have so much faith in me. Bless no, you. You're amazing. I can't wait. Honestly, I'm so excited to get you on the pads. Oh, bless you. Right, my love. Um, it is, it's two minutes now past your bedtime. I'm mindful of that. And I don't want to, you know, meet Nez the Destroyer. So um, we are going to call it a day here. Thank you so much. I just love talking to you always. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Yes, I will see you uh, very soon for other exciting things that we're doing together. And then, of course, um, at the at the summit uh, in October. Buy a ticket, people. I was going to say, guys, if you haven't bought your tickets, get it now because it's going to be real. It's going to be so, yay, so good. Can't yay, wait. Yay. Got the amazing. best in the business. Everyone's <laughs> going to be there. So it's going to be amazing. Yes. <laughs> All right, my darling. Lots of love. Have a good sleep. Thank you, you too. <laughs> and I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Thanks for having me. See you. Bye-bye.